When you're asking questions, you're not there to be heard or be liked or become friends with the person. I'm not there to share anecdotes about my life. And so that frees you up in a lot of ways to just actually listen to what the person has to say. Hello and welcome back or welcome to The Messy Middle. I'm your host, Andrew Horsfield. I hope this year has kicked off well for you and whatever you aspire to get done in 2023 is starting to take some shape. The purpose of this podcast is to have conversations with leaders and experts in their field who can help you elevate your impact as you advance your career, company and life. You can find out more or listen to some previous episodes at andrewhorsfield.com forward slash podcast. Kirk Docker is one of Australia's finest interviewers and storytellers. The co-creator and director of the ABC program, You Can't Ask That, Kirk offers viewers a small window into the untold stories of people who live with a label like transgender, bogan or killer. Kirk came on the show to discuss why we need to main our curiosity and be open to diverse people, opinions and preferences. We discuss why we should challenge our own worldview and beliefs, how we can create better dialogue through difference, the basic human desire we all share, as well as his insights and lessons from seven seasons on the show. Kirk's a brilliant human that offers sage advice and the occasional swear word through this episode. Please enjoy this educational and entertaining conversation with the insightful Kirk Docker. All right, uh, Kirk, welcome back to The Messy Middle. I love the show. You can't ask that. It's a ripping show that goes beyond just the entertainment value of some good questions. And can you share with people listening how you took that sort of traditional vox pop into something of a significant show dealing with significant material? The team behind You Can't Ask That had worked together previously on Hungry Beast, which was a program on the ABC in 2009, 10, 11, we did three seasons. One of the segments on the show was a Vox Pop, and um, there was these other sorts of programs out there that, that had dipped into sort of the um, the Vox Pop segment or, or had, had cross-sectioned a, a variety of people t- to create a different, a bigger story. And that's what sort of interested us, not just going out into the street and interviewing people about politics or the issues of the day, but try and find a real large cross-sections of Australians from all around the country and ask them these big universal questions about life. And um, and so you can ask that in a lot of ways came from from that idea. But if you imagine 2015 when this, when this show came about, there was a lot of discussion about political correctness. What can we say? What can't we say? Quite rightly, people were very aware of not wanting to say the wrong thing, not wanting to um, make someone feel uncomfortable with their question asking, not wanting to um, refer to someone with the wrong tone or the wrong um, label. And in some respects, it became an environment where everyone was scared to ask any questions or say anything. And so in some respects, You Can't Ask That was looking to tackle that, was to take this idea of the Vox Pop, creating an environment where you could ask big questions about life, but narrowing it down to some of these misunderstood groups where we've been told suddenly, you can't ask this and you can't ask that, and if you do that, that's disrespectful. We wanted to be able to ask those questions, but do it in a way that was safe and real and honest and allow these people to speak on their own terms. And that's sort of what You Can't Ask That was. 
where does your appetite for exploring and unpacking and unearthing those things come from? I think in ge- as a general rule, I'm very interested in um, the offbeat, um, the the misunderstood, the, the parts of life that maybe other people would turn their nose up to or say that that's a bit weird or a bit gross or a bit strange um, or, or a bit out of my comfort zone or whatever the terms they want to use. That sort of territory has been... I've been interested in that for for ages. Um, I think I was always a bit of a someone who could fit in everywhere. I was one of those kids that um, did lots of all sorts of different um, activities. I was dropped into school into a school where I didn't know anyone and um, was was out of place. And so I suppose I've just had to have worked lots and lots of different jobs. I've often been in a situation where I've been the odd one out and had to work out a way to thrive in those spots or survive or whatever it happened to be in those different times. So you work out ways to be able to talk to all sorts of different people and you get exposed to all sorts of different people. So I think I was always interested in in a range of people. And then into my 20s, I think, um, you know, there was publications around uh, like Vice and... A Big Brother, which is a magazine, and there was these publications out there that w- that weren't part of the mainstream media that were that were putting topics and ideas in front of you that previously you, you almost didn't know where you could find out that stuff about drug use and sex and gangs and all these sorts of different things. And in some respects, it opened my eyes to this sort of wider world that was out there and realized how sheltered I was in terms of my understanding of the world. And I had all these questions that I didn't quite know how to have answered. So... I suppose this this began a um, uh, a love affair with finding people that I wanted to understand and asking those questions to help understand who they were. Um, and so, well before you can ask that, I you know in particular delved um, a lot into the fetish world and and the sex world and the drug world and and just unusual characters. I remember we found a character one time that. Um, believed he was the reincarnation of Jesus. And so for, for us, that was a very, you know, and he lived in the outer suburbs, outer suburbs of Melbourne, just there on his own, working on his garden, doing whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we, we found this guy, and this is before he appeared in Mona, who sculpted um, different vaginas of all different women, um, hundreds of them. And he, and he made these, these casts and he made these sculptures and, and then he sort of would... And now they're all displayed in Mona down in Tasmania. But again, he was just doing that out of his backyard. So we were sort of interested in finding these characters and understanding how they ticked. And and what you often found out was that they their wants and needs weren't that different from us. They just had had the courage to sort of run with an idea um, that most of us would maybe would feel judged if we went went down that path. And um, to us, it was exciting. It was interesting. It was it, it was. Um, it was answering my general curiosity with life. And so I, I think there's such rich material um, in speaking to all types of people as opposed to um, the standard people that we always ask the same questions to all the time. And in some respects, it's all about, for me, um, normalising things. Here's some people that we think are so strange, but in actual fact, if you talk to them, 
They're just like you and me. They just happen to have this really interesting thing that they do. And if you ask them with respect, they'll tell you about it. That, that to me, is an exciting place to work. What's the balance between that openness and curiosity and being open to things versus people standing for something? And because I'm imagining listeners sort of going, yeah, but you know, you gotta, you gotta have a standard. You've gotta have a line where you say that's acceptable or not, or that's a rule that I believe in that I want to stand for. And what's the balance in your head between that curiosity that you obviously have versus rules or regulations or guardrails that people put on their life so that they can actually live it in a way that they feel content and happy and like they're standing for something and fulfilled. I suppose what I'm looking for in someone that I want to interview is someone who is comfortable in their own skin. And if someone's comfortable in their own skin uh, and they're, they're accepting of who they are, then they answer their questions or they explain their life in an authentic way or an honest way. I struggle, I suppose, with people who are putting on an act or putting on a show or, or haven't quite accepted who they are. Like, for example, one time I interviewed a guy that um, found everything that came out of his body erotic, every single thing in all directions. Um, and, uh, you know, you only need to use your imagination to to imagine what this person got up to. Now, I'm not into that. I'm not really interested into trying that sort of stuff. But I was fascinated to understand how you find that about yourself and what you find enjoyable about it and, and understand the mechanics behind it and how it works. Um, and at the end of the day, it just ended up being like an, another fetish and you can sort of take out that fetish and you put in another fetish and there's similar things which which align with it. Now, that is not many people's cups of tea, but I didn't have any judgment of this person. I was sort of quite in awe of of, of how far this person was willing to push um, push themselves to try these things out that really, really, for most people, this is so out of their comfort zone in terms of the stuff that this guy was doing. You know, for me, I'm not looking in any way to make this person look like a freak or um, make them seem weird or anything like that. I'm just looking to understand, and that's at the, that's at the, the base of every person I speak to. It's about trying to understand that person and going in looking to understand rather than looking to sort of have an opinion or judge their thing. From your experience, you've you've spoken to so many different types of people, and and if if I could crudely say, like people with labels or stereotypes, you've you've covered a lot. Have you noticed in interviewing people what a common denominator to that is in accepting that and being able to live that way? I think a common denominator amongst all the people, and this is maybe a side path from what you're asking, but I think there's a common denominator amongst all the people I speak to is that um, they want, they have this desire to be understood. You know, here's this thing that I have that I live with, um, but I just want you to understand it so that you can not realise it's such a big deal. And uh, people are willing to answer those questions on it if you if you look to understand their way of seeing the world more so than ask questions um, from a voyeuristic point of view for your own titillation, in a way. If you genuinely want to get that person. And when you start asking questions to try and understand it, that's when you start finding these links um, between you and them. And it doesn't become about the... Um, I suppose the dangly objects, the the mechanics of how a certain thing works, it goes then down to to the deeper stuff. So, for example, you, we we asked a question on the um, amputees episode, which was, "Has anyone fucked your stump?" Right? Ridiculous question. Someone sent it in, but 
um, and, and, and unfortunately, <laughs> I feel like I'm on a, a fetish theme this morning, but um, stump fucking is, um, is a thing, right? Now, seven out of the eight people on the show just went, that is the most ridiculous question. I can't believe you asked that, blah, 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 blah. But really, the question wasn't about um, having sex with someone's stump. What it ultimately was about was understanding um, relationships, you know, can you, do you know, have you, do you have a relationship? Do you struggle in relationships? Is there a barrier in, in forming relationships because, um, of the amputation? Um, how does it affect love in your life? And really getting down to it, the subtext of this question was about finding love, finding acceptance, wanting to be loved. Why do you think we struggle to, to do what you're suggesting around getting to that deeper level of understanding as opposed to the quick, easy judgment? I think because we fear things that look different or or seem different, and and we don't quite realise that that the differences, you know, to be so cliche is, is skin deep. Um, I think we fear things that are different. Um, we are busy, caught up um, in our own lives, and you know, it, it, our focus is on us and me and what's going to suit me. And it takes time and effort and care to to have these interactions with people, to be aware, to notice, to say hi. And I think that you know, people don't prioritise that stuff. They prioritise their own family and their own set of friends and haven't got time for this or that. So I think it's that. And I think also people are scared. If I, you know, if I um, say the wrong thing, is this person going to not like me or am I going to get in trouble or am I going to put my foot in it or or whatever. So it's easy just to not do something rather than take the risk of putting yourself out there and, and maybe you get some type of blowback. I think my experience, I had a, I had a really great experience of working in, in diversity, uh, you know, probably 20 years ago now. And as part of that, there was a, a young girl called Tammy in a wheelchair who, who was just a terrific colleague. And as part of that one day, you know, we were walking through the city and she was beside me and and I didn't know whether to ask if I could push her up the hill because she was struggling a little bit. And I sort of just stepped into that conversation and said, look, I, I don't know if I should ask this, but I, I, I feel like I should, you, you know, do you want me to push you up the hill, give you a hand? And it just opened a fantastic conversation. She received it beautifully and that just gave us a gateway of for me to ask other things through the workplace that I was wondering about how do I help or what does she need or that I might not have been addressing. That story demonstrates a perfect approach in some respects. Like what you got to understand is on you can ask that, the stage is set for me to ask those questions. So the person knows they're coming in to answer those questions. It's not a shock. It's not like I'm just bumping into this person in the street and then suddenly hammering them with these questions. The other thing is there's often been one, two, three, four, five phone calls in the lead up to um, this where we've, my producers have talked them through how this thing might unfold without necessarily giving away the questions, but asked about their life and, and learnt about them. Um, and, and also the show exists, so they know what this thing is as they're coming in. So actually there's been quite a lot of preparation. And so in some respects, what you did in that instance, it, was, it wasn't like the first time you met this person, you started quizzing about all the intimate details of their life. There was a period of, of you know, building rapport and getting to know someone. And in the right moment, the, the, question, the question was asked. And so really it's about 
and often you'll you'll hear some of the people I speak to say, so we don't mind people asking questions. We just sometimes hate that it's the first question you ask. Now, I'm just talking very, very generally here. This is, you know, I can't talk on behalf of every single person who has interesting things to say about their life. But, yeah, it's 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 doing it from the place of wanting to understand, but it's also timing it and and under, and building that relationship and um and and not just going for the jugular necessarily on the on the first go um but again there's some people who are happy to answer that way um and so it's also about understanding that character and the type of person is the person that someone who loves to talk or is the person a little bit shyer and 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 understand the person's own personality as well what's the mechanics of of being able to listen and interview well because I think with people who are out there listening to this who say, look, I want to get along with my wife better or my neighbour or the work colleague or th- those sorts of people but don't know how to actually engage and do that and respond, could you give any some insights to how you do that? Part of it is not – when you're asking questions, you're not there to be heard you know, or be liked or become friends with the person. Um, I'm not there to share anecdotes about my life. And so that frees you up in a lot of ways to just actually listen to what the person has to say. And if you're not waiting for your chance to jump in with your own story or your own anecdote or your own take on it, suddenly you're available, your brain's a whole lot more available to hear what they say and then they say something interesting, you know, I call this a hook, and then they'll say something else that's really interesting. There's all these little moments that hook your attention and so suddenly this person might say five or six amazing things that you can say, ah, oh, wow, can, let's, let's, can I ask you about that? And can I ask you about that? And can I ask you about that? So I think that's part of it is not going into an interaction feeling like you have to um, entertain them or have your voice heard or you, you have to match them in the things that you say. Just being silent for a moment. Shut up and listen to what this person has to say for a moment. And people find that very difficult um, to not jump in with their own thoughts because, again, they fear that they, they have to contribute to it or that they want to say something interesting or, or whatever it is. So I think that's the first part, um, I would say, to becoming a better listener is, is, is ditching feeling like you need to say something. Now, every now and then, <clears throat> I will share something of my own life. Um, and I think that's the other part of if you're having an interaction where you're asking someone stuff about their own life, but you're hidden with, with, with things about your own life, you know, you wouldn't answer that question yourself. You'd be too scared to answer it or give an honest truth about that. Then that person can feel that, you know, why would they tell you something that you wouldn't have the courage to answer yourself? So from time to time, if I'm asking a question that someone is unsure where I'm going to, or um, they're not going to the, the deepness or the level that I want to go to, I'll share something of my own life and say, you know, for me, it's this, and here's some truth about me. So I, you know, I've, I have this rule that I won't ask any question that, that I'm not prepared to answer myself. All right. I just want to say one other thing too. I, I think that, um, again, when we're having um, serious conversations or deep conversations, I think sometimes people feel like they have to bring an energy of seriousness or deepness. Um, but what I would say to you is, is look for ways to be playful as well. Look for ways to find lightness in those interactions, um, to find a laugh, to realize that there's black humor in, in some of the most dire circumstances. And the way that people deal, not everyone, but the way that a lot of people deal with, with heavy moments in their life is with humor. And so um, 
you know, you hear some people start, they realize they're having a, a, a deep or a serious conversation. They almost put on a voice. Here we go. I'm going to do my serious, deep, caring voice. Now, you can be serious and caring, but also you can be open to hearing where the humor is. And, and, and I think this is one of the beautiful things about You Can Ask That is one minute there's a laugh, the next minute, you know, the, the, there's, there's real emotion and it goes back and forth. And that's an attitude of going into those interactions, of realizing that this is how we work as humans, that one minute we're laughing, the next minute we're crying. And um, if you go into your interactions that way with that sort of energy, looking for ways to be playful um, on the flip side of the coin of, of also looking for ways to be serious and, and being compassionate, um, you know, people will respond to that. You know, people will be open to, to tell you the weirdness because life is weird. There's weird, crazy stuff that happens in amongst the serious stuff. You know, when we interview people about terminally ill, there's all this serious stuff in there, but there's all this weird, unusual stuff about it that's just as interesting to me too. And I love hearing about that stuff. That's life. So I wanted to know, have there been any questions that you've had to ask as part of the show that have been difficult for you to ask because of that curious and open nature you've explained previously and feeling the questions, not inappropriateness, but sharpness or judgmental nature that you've found difficult to ask as the interviewer? Yeah, definitely. So to give the audience an idea of how it works, for each for each season of the show, we get submitted thousands and thousands of questions that people will send in. And we'll use those questions together with our research, you know, of speaking to participants um, and realizing where the touch points are and the, and the, you know, interesting areas to ask about. We'll use a combination of our research and the, and the curiosity that people have to send in to form this 10 question interview. And that 10 question interview will always have a question which un unpacks how did you become or why are you this particular person s to set up who they are. And, and then we'll always end with a question, um, around what are the learnings or how have you grown or, or, or what's something you know, how, how have you got to where you are right now as a way to sort of close it out? Uh, and then in the midst of all that, there'll be all sorts of questions trying to unpack who they are and understand certain things. It, it's, it's, a, it's almost like here, this question is, it's like we, we create entertainment here. So I want a question that is something they've heard before or something that shocks them or something that gets a reaction. But then everything else that happens after we've opened that window to that question um, is is through listening to what their answer is and me asking follow-up questions or me having a series of questions that are pre-written, not going to ask every single question there, but other questions that maybe other people have sent in or some of my own thoughts um, that we've expanded off the back of that big question. So I might spend 10, 15 minutes unpacking a single question, you know, maybe, maybe longer, maybe shorter, depending on what they might have to say. So, sorry, to go back to your question on, on has there been anything that's been uncomfortable for me to ask, where I felt most uncomfortable is, I suppose our questions are broken down roughly into two categories. Some which is about trying to understand how someone works. So say with blind people, how do you know you're not dressed like an idiot, right? How does this thing work? Um, swingers, um, what's the, the biggest number of people you've had an orgy with? Um, you know, so uh, short-statured people, do you have a special little car, you know, with, with, with pedals and, you know, whatever? Um, you know, people with dementia, will you even remember being on this show? It's, it's like a curiosity about how this thing will work. And, and they're quite fun in a way because you're busting myths and stereotypes about, you know, how this person lives. 
um, or, or some things that people might think that this this person with this label has. The ones which I've, I find um, more challenging are the questions which are accusatory questions. So in season one, we did um, fat people as an episode, and the questions that people sent in were very accusatory. You know, why are you so fat? Why don't you eat less? Why don't you exercise? Don't you realize, you know, what you're doing is is going to shorten your lifespan, etc. And every single one of those questions, I really felt like, oh, it's really attacking them. And I felt really, really nervous about that set of questions. To the credit of every single person in the episode, they took those questions with good humor. And and sometimes they pushed back on them. Sometimes they arced up on those questions. But then they answered those questions very, very truthfully and, and, and explained their life. So those sorts of questions I found difficult. And then... The ones I found difficult too, I suppose, were the really, really sensitive um, areas, um, things around domestic violence or sexual assault or um, um, suicide attempt survivors or, or people who had killed someone in their life um, by accident. Because what you realised you were doing, you were asking about very, very sensitive stuff that um, that there's trauma associated with and um, potentially PTSD associated with or, or still long-standing trauma associated with it. Um, and they're things that, you know, they had to prepare themselves to talk about that you don't want to talk about every single day, um, that there is a lot of hurt there with. So those ones mm. um, I found difficult to do because um, – you're just nervous about asking that stuff. One of the real assets for the show, which you're just explaining, is I think you you talk to real people about their lived experience, not subject matter experts or people from foundations who are coming to talk about transgender issues or um, all, all the subjects you, you talk about. Um, was that a conscious choice for, for you in terms of the type of show that you wanted to to have and the way that you wanted to approach the subject matter to open people's minds? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Anyone that's spoken about something in a, 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 a long time, you know, they they, you know, they have their story points and they have their ways of explaining things, and they've filtered out this particular thing or or this particular idea or whatever. And so you, yeah, it it feels like you're getting a performance in a way. Um, I was. I'm interested in hearing people who've never spoken about this stuff before, or they've only spoken about it to a small amount of people. I'm interested in getting a real wide gambit of experience of people who have that label. Um, I'm interested in putting people on on television that challenges the audience's idea of what this person could be, or what they look like, or what they might say. Um, so it's 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 all those reasons we we want the audience to walk away going. All right, that was so different from what I thought. That was completely different from what I've heard in these, um, in, in the mainstream, you know, messaging about this idea or the spokesperson's take on it or the celebrity's take on it. Um, so we want to, yeah, shock, challenge. We want to put things to air that are, you know, a little bit wrong or not said in a p most polished way. Um, we just want it to be real um, because yeah. the majority of people out there aren't media trained, haven't practiced their stories. Um, and they're just talking like normal humans. And it's refreshing to hear people talk that way. It's invigorating to hear people talk that way. And y y you tune in, you listen. When someone talks real, when someone talks with authenticity, 
um, you can't help but admire them and listen to them and respect them, even if they're saying stuff that challenges what you think about the world. As soon as people start talking in a way of, you know, this rote sort of um, polished way, it's very, very easy to tune out. And, you know, politicians are a case in point. You know, you can just tune out to what they say. But if they start talking, you know, going off the cuff or they, they say something unexpected, or they start talking in a way that sounds real, you're like, whoa, my God, this person's a real person. I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. And we want to remind yeah. people that all these people are just real people. They're not spokespeople or professionals or experts. They're just ordinary people like you and me explaining how their life works. I think the managing director at the time of the ABC was, was saying this in different hands, I think it's a real compliment to you, but in different hands, this could be really dangerous television. But I think you navigate that, obviously, part of the reasons of, of what you've been sharing already on as we've been talking you've got this beautiful way of respecting people but getting to the real life of uncovering things. And what do you think we should be asking ourselves of our own life experience? I mean, the show's you asking people of their life experience. What do you think we should be reflecting on as listeners about about our own life experience to get to some of that deeper marrow of what matters to us and what we feel proud of, what we regret, what we could do differently, how we Mm. could – tweak things to to live a more content life, not necessarily a bigger, more expensive, better one? I think we could ask ourselves the hard questions. You know, there's a interesting activity would be to say, what would be the three questions that someone wouldn't want to ask me? What are the questions you can't ask of yourself? And see if you can answer them, you know, and to face those things. Um, I think that would be an interesting thing to do to challenge yourself to answer those questions that, that, that you might like to know from someone else, that you'd be willing to put someone else on the hot seat about, but would you be willing to do that yourself? And I think the other thing is it's worth asking yourself, why do you have problems with certain people? Um, what are you scared about? Really being honest about what that is and looking to move past that. Um, just feel like it's such a... a um, it's such a barrier that we have that we have this, you know, this, this talk of unconscious bias and that sort of stuff. Um, but to be honest about, okay, if I could ask this person stuff, or why do I turn my nose up to this particular person? And actually, you know, doing the research, and it doesn't even have to be asking the person that question, but doing the research and trying to unpack what it is that I have an issue with or why, what do I have this, um, this block about and can I overcome it? And how true it actually is. Or am I just believing some... You know, am I just believing some uh, big generic idea that exists out there without having done any further research about and unpacking? Yeah. But asking tough questions of yourself, um, I think, is a really, really good place to start. What do people typically get wrong about their assumptions of you, Kirk? I think sometimes people think that um, I'm deep, deeply curious and caring 24 hours a day. It's very difficult to be like that about every single person that you meet at all times. Now, it doesn't mean that the person walking past me, I'm randomly judging, but I don't always want to be unpacking and asking questions and interviewing them and, and understanding every single intricate detail of their life. Um, and sometimes, like, you know, pub on a Friday night, I just want to lean on the bar and talk shit with my mates. I don't necessarily want to be being deeply curious about everything. Um, <clears throat> so I'm not like that all the time. It takes a lot of effort, and it's exhausting to be like that all the time. Sometimes I just... Uh, want to be a, an introvert and be in my own space. I love being in my own space. I love having my own time. 
And and uh, it's it's actually vitally important to me that I get that that alone time, or that I go away on trips to to get reinvigorated with ideas and, and creativity. For for me, creativity comes from being in the world, not from sitting on a computer and looking up, you know, things on the internet. I need to be amongst it, and um, when I'm amongst it, and get out of my everyday life, that's when the ideas start to flow. That's when they, you know, they, they're allowed to gestate and, and suddenly I'm noticing things, I'm seeing things again, I'm reading things that I don't normally have time to do. Yeah. And, and the other question I wanted to ask, is there something that's fundamentally changed in your thinking or, or the way you practice or go about life since starting the show? Yeah, I think I've tried to integrate it a lot more into my life, that this is not a thing that I do for work and then it disappears when I come home. And I don't think that it never just completely disappeared, but I'm more conscious of integrating it, that that I take, that I'm very open to take what I'm learning in the workplace and then bring that into my life and, and let that inform my life and let that inform the way that, that I live, you know, just to try and be as wholehearted with that, that this is not a performance, that it's actually something that I believe and it's it's how I am. And it's difficult to do that sometimes, to, to always to always do that. So um, the other thing I think I've learned too is that um, it's the it's to take these social issues um, or to take things that people might be outraged about, and it's very easy to be outraged by a big idea, but to understand that there's so much um, nuance in the experience of people that. Um, not every single Indigenous person feels the same way about certain themes. Not every single person who's homeless feels the same way about certain themes. That that within any any label, there's all these areas of nuance and that there's not this one size that fits all, that here's how all these people think. And I think that this sort of outrage culture of people getting outraged on behalf of groups of people and doing it in a very meaningful way it's not as it's so much more complex than that, and um, people that have these labels that live in the inner city might be outraged, but people who live rurally think about it in a much in a much more different way or a much more gentle way or whatever it is and um, and there's people who are good people that might say politically incorrect things or might put their foot in it, but it doesn't mean they're not good people it it just means that they might not understand something or it hasn't been explained to them, they haven't been exposed to something. So I'm, I'm, I'm completely unjudgmental about that stuff. I don't expect that everyone has all the knowledge that I've had by spending all this time speaking to people, that the world is, yeah, is, it's very nuanced and complex and there's many, many ways to sort of skin a cat. So I'm not looking to necessarily change it, what you think is right or wrong, I just want to challenge it. Put something in front of you that maybe will make you consider the way that you look at the world a little bit differently, um, that might add more complexity to the way that you consider the world or more nuance or, um, like I said earlier, normalise something that you thought was so strange or so other. So like, I love hearing people say, oh, I, you know, I thought this about that, but after watching that I really realised that that person's so much more like me or... They completely changed my thought on that, or you know, I went and did further research on it, or whatever. That that's that's exciting to me when I hear that. So to just to challenge the way that you might think about the world. Now you might not change your opinion or anything like that, but at least you've heard a different take on it than maybe you've heard previously. Yeah, yeah. 
this this uh, this podcast is called the messy middle. So I just wanted to finish by asking you what what the la- what was the last messy middle you found yourself in, and how did you deal with it? Uh, I, my my approach to those sorts of moments is to just fix it as quick as I can. <laughs> um, so I suppose I've been doing a lot of speaking engagements where I'll go into a a workplace um, and talk about the process of of the interview. How do you interview someone? You know, here's the tools of how I interview people on You Can't Ask That and, and how can we apply that in your own life, essentially, is that what I, I go in and, and talk about. And um, what I do is I live interview people in the room. We design questions in the room about what you can or can't ask this room, right? We treat the room like it's an episode of You Can't Ask That. And so let's design some questions we couldn't typically ask this room and let's collect those questions. And then let's interview someone... Well, then I interview someone using those questions we've designed Love in that. the room, you know, and it's, and what's exciting, it's, it's a very exciting space to be in because it's very live. You know, this is not a talk that I do that is like this script um, because it really can go anywhere depending on what the room designs and um, who decides to put their hand up to come and be interviewed and, um, and then what they happen to say. So, what can happen is and no no editing suite <laughs> exactly no editing suite and like <laughs> I was saying before is that the interviews that I do prior you know there's a lot of preparation leading into that person coming up onto the you know into the into the uh, interview room and also it's very private so um, in this instance you've got an audience and the audience can be large um, so what has happened before where I've been I suppose in the messy meal is when you when you're in this moment is that you can lose the audience. You know, you can lose the audience with the type of questions that you ask. If they feel like you're being, if you're challenging this person too much or you're asking something that maybe is inappropriate, um, it's making them feel uncomfortable, actually. Maybe it's not the person on stage who's feeling uncomfortable. Maybe they feel completely at ease and feel comfortable in this experience, but maybe someone in the audience is feeling like, oh, my gosh, this is making me feel uncomfortable, and you can start to um, lose the room. And there, there has been a time where um, I've, after the interview, I've gone back out to the room and, and asked for thoughts, you know, how they, you know, what questions they had or where it's gone. And some people have really pushed back on where I've gone. And so in this moment, this is where um, in how you respond to those questions and you unpack what you've done and, and explain that, I suppose, and have that interaction with them, which is there's a little bit of fire in them. Um, and whether you get caught up with being defensive or not or trying to justify what you did or you hear them and then you respond and actually you have an interaction that that quashes that that fire or, or puts out that fire and makes that person feel at ease. So I suppose in the early days of me doing this stuff, there are times when I feel like the room has almost gone, you know, because if one person mm. says something and another person says, yeah, I agree with that person, you can feel a rumbling in the room like, you know, this isn't right. Um, and, and I've felt that. I've felt the room starting to be that way. And in that moment, in you have to very, very, you have to sharpen up if you get overwhelmed by the idea that you might be being attacked, um, then if, if the room goes, you're screwed, totally screwed. So it's in those moments, I think, that, and that's happened a couple of times where I've had to sharpen up, really hear what that person had to say, not get defensive about it, and, and, and have a real interaction with that person. 
and then and do that a number of times where instead of losing the room, the room comes around, they see that you're willing to be open and honest and genuine. You're not trying to hide something. You're not a trickster. You know, you're not a manipulator. That you're just a human, real person up there, and then you feel the room coming back towards you. Um, but it's a very, very daunting, scaring place to be to be in that spot. So these days, when I when I do it, um, it's all really about that preparation coming in, you know. And it's simple things. Mm. It's remembering names of the of people that you're speaking to. It's not bringing out antagonistic energy. And it's for me, it's about being in the room before everyone gets in there. And and somewhat controlling what you can control. If you come into a space and the and the, the audience is already in there and you haven't got your your gear set up properly and you've been flustered because you haven't got to park, that already begins this energy of impatience or annoyance or nervousness, and that's what potentially could flow through. Um, but if you're in a place of calm before you begin, um, the room feels that. And, and your participant feels that, and um, your interviewee feels that. And that really all comes back to everything that I do in the actual interview space, which is is being is switching on, and no one's more important than what I'm doing right in that moment. And if, the, if these other distractions get involved, that's when it can unravel. Look, thank you so much for, for the conversation, apart from probably the first episode where I can tick that explicit box in the when I upload it, which is terrific. Just so such great insight, you know. I really value the show in what you're doing and what your team's doing. To, you know, apart from the MA rating, it should come with a community service announcement. I think because it's just a beautiful way. And even in this conversation, I value the fact that listeners have got lots of ways of thinking about who they are, how they relate in the world to others, how we stay curious for longer, how we inquire a little bit more. And, and work across difference and boundaries to get a, a better outcome than if we just stay in our lane and our, and our existing way of thinking. So thank you. Really enjoyed the conversation and no others will too. No problems. Yeah, getting out of your lane. It's a fun place to be out in the big wide world mm. asking questions um, of, all sorts of, of all sorts of people. So um, it only will enrich your life. I, uh, I promise yep, you that. Brilliant. Thanks, Kirk. Really appreciate it. Cheers, mate. Just a couple of things before we wrap up. If you've enjoyed this episode and think it'll be good company for your drive home, commute on the train, or even mental fuel during your daily workout, please subscribe by clicking on your preferred podcasting platform at andrewhorsefield.com forward slash podcast. And if you'd like to receive a monthly email from me with insider content, videos, white papers, and some recommended reading that will help you move your mental furniture around advancing people and performance, then sign up for more content that's been curated specifically for curious minds like yours at andrewhorsefield.com forward slash contact. Thanks for listening.